listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good evening, church. Hope you are doing good. Hope you've had a good day, a good Sunday. Um, maybe watch a little football, uh, whatever you've done. I hope it's been a good day for you. I'm looking forward to tonight and sharing the message with you. Um, and before we do that, though, I want to take just a second and celebrate something uh, that's really awesome. Uh, last week, last Sunday, between Vidalia and Lyons and between our Statesboro campus, we had six people who went from death to life, who gave their lives to Christ, came to faith in Christ. So it's always something good to celebrate, something that uh, is very important to us and something that we always want to uh, thank God for. Uh, it's one of the main reasons we do what we do is to see people come to know Christ. And so uh, that's a big deal to us. And so I'm thankful that we can celebrate that and thankful that God's doing the work that he's doing, uh, that God still saves people, that he still brings people to himself and still reveals himself to people. Um, tonight, we're going to continue uh, the Tried and True series. Uh, you'll see um, that we've been going through the Gospel of John since the first of the year. And we're finishing up next week with the Gospel of John. We'll be in chapter 21 this week. We're in chapter 20. We're going to be specifically looking at verses 1, 2, and then we're going to skip down to verse 11 uh, through 16. And so uh, let's read that text, and then we're going to pray, and then we'll jump in. It says in verse 1 of chapter 20 the Gospel of John, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. Then it goes on and says that Peter and John ran to the tomb, that Peter runs in, John goes in later, and that after they realize this, that, that, he's, that he's gone, that the tomb is empty, they go back to their homes. It says, but Mary stood weeping outside in verse 11, weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Let's pray, God, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence, God, that we can come boldly before your throne of grace, find your mercy, to find your goodness, to find your kindness. God, tonight I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. God, let us hear you call our name. Let us hear you speak loudly to us. God, just uh, move in a mighty way. Move in our hearts and leave us changed, Lord change to be more like you. Father, we love you and thank you for your love and grace and the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One of the things I've been thinking a lot about this week um, is just how discoveries change our lives. 
how discoveries affect us and change us. Uh, I was thinking about how uh, over 25 years ago now, it's hard to believe it's been over a quarter of a century, uh, I discovered uh, something called Susan, right, my wife. Um, I discovered her, we met at a, a party, we were in the backyard uh, of this party, it was an innocent party, I promise. Um, we were standing there, a mutual friend had introduced us, we'd never met before, and so we start talking and, and we kind of start to, to like each other, you know, and, and we're standing there and we were young and didn't really know how to talk to one another, and so we had a red solo cup, which I know sounds even more like we were probably doing something we shouldn't have been at that age, and so um, we had the red solo cup, and we would take it and tear it or shape it into these different objects or um, different things, and then we'd pass it back to the other one, and then the other one would take it and shape it into something, and, pass it. and it was all because we didn't know what to say. It was really stupid, right? But it, but it worked. Um, it worked for me, and, and we started uh, being boyfriend and girlfriend, and so and that, that went on for several years. And then I made another discovery. I discovered that this relationship was going to cost me a lot of money as I had to go and buy a ring, right? And so I went and bought a ring and, and spent all that money and, and uh, got the ring. And, and I'd like to tell you that I did something really romantic and rode up on a white horse on the beach and, and got down on a knee and asked her to marry me. But I actually, I just did it in the, the cab of my truck in the driveway. And uh, so, yeah, I'm a big, you know, romantic, that's me. Um, and so she actually said yes. Later that night she was on the phone and I guess like all of it was kind of overwhelming to her um, because she was crying on the phone with her mom and she was like, uh, what are we gonna do? And I was like, hey, if you don't like it, give me the ring back. That thing costs a lot of money. And so, uh, but, but our lives were beginning to change. We finally get married and we, we um, start our life together. And we, in about two years, three years, we make another discovery that we're about to add to our family and the first child's coming along and you're talking about a major change, right, that this discovery made. Uh, once he comes into our lives, everything changed. I found out how selfish I was. I realized that for the next 60 years, I won't be living for me any longer. I'm gonna have to be taking care of these, uh, these, these boys now that I have three of who've been a huge blessing in our lives. But, but that conversation and that meeting um, that discovery that I made over a quarter century ago, uh, it, it's changed my life because discoveries change our lives. If we think about everyday discoveries, they change our lives. There's been major events in our lives that have changed our lives. And then there's been different things that we've discovered. Um, about 15 years ago, a little over 15 years ago, um, Jesus came into my life and I discovered the fact that he is the Lord and Savior. And it began to change me. Um, he changed my heart and put me on a different path. He began to lead me in a different direction. I heard a call to ministry and discovered that God had called me to be a pastor. Uh, that, 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 that calling led us down a lot of different roads and a lot of different paths. It, it ultimately led to some of the darkest days of my life. But those dark days, um, in that I discovered and was confirmed in my calling. And then God led us uh, to to start this church and, and, and to see God do some really awesome things. But it all started with the discovery of Jesus as the Savior as he revealed himself to me. Um, and so I want you to see that discoveries change our lives. Discoveries change us. And I wonder what discoveries have changed your life? What, what discoveries have, have impacted you greatly? You know, we look at these and some of them are good things. Some of them are, are awesome. Some of them are things that really are, are positive. And, and they, they, when we think about it, and they bring a smile to our face. 
But then some of them can be negative. Some of those discoveries are negative things that negatively affect us, that cause us to uh, not smile and, and, and feel that uh, nauseating feeling in our, in our gut when we think about it. And I wonder what those discoveries might be for you. Maybe it was a discovery of an affair. Maybe it was a discovery of a lump. And maybe that changed your whole outlook on life. Maybe it was a discovery of a weakness towards a temptation that you just don't seem to be able to beat, that you've realized I can't beat this on my own. And this discovery is, is just challenging, it's difficult. Maybe it's the discovery of your sin by someone else because you thought that it'd never be found out. And so now that's something that you're dealing with. Maybe it's the discovery of the consequences of your sin because they're greater than you thought they'd be. But either way, listen, what discoveries have challenged you? What discoveries have changed you? What discoveries have shaped you? When we look at this text, I want you to think about where Mary is. I want you to think about uh, where her life is in this moment. As we read it, she's in a place where she was in a place of loss. She was in a place where she had suffered great loss. Someone she loved was gone. And now the body's even missing. She was in a place of hurt. Her heart was hurting because of this loss. She was in a place of woundedness. Her heart was wounded because of the events that had taken place. Think about the trauma that she experienced as she watched Jesus beaten and as she watched him crucified and as she watched him take his last breath and she's experienced this. Think about the confusion that would have existed. Here she is, she thinks this man's gonna be the, the salvation of the world and now he's dead and she can't even find his body. What's going on? Think about the frustration of it. I've been following him and now, what do I do? What are my next steps? What, what do I do next? Think about how angry she may have been. Just the fact that he was killed and murdered in an unjust way. Think about those feelings and the emotions that she would have felt as she comes to the tomb, as she comes to this place. Think about the betrayal she would have felt because Jesus had promised all of this, this new kingdom, all of these things. And now she seems to be betrayed. Did he really, is he really gonna do what he said he would do? And so we look at this and it's as if she's this ball of emotion that when she comes to the tomb and the body's no longer there, it seems to break. And this dam seems to break and she begins to weep she begins to cry. And I wonder how many of us could identify with where Mary was in some way, whether it's loss that we've experienced, whether it's heartache, whether it's woundedness from events in our lives, whether it's frustration or anger. What is it in our lives that we can identify with Mary in? What is it that we can see ourselves in? Because Mary comes to this place where all of this comes to a head. 
And it says in the Bible that she came, and here's the thing, not really understanding all of what she was doing, she came and the Bible says that Jesus asked her, whom are you seeking? So she's coming seeking Jesus, not really in a spiritual way, but in a physical way. But the thing that I see in that and the thing that is true from the rest of scripture is that if we seek Jesus, we will find him. And so she comes seeking and Jesus reveals himself to her. And in this moment, she realizes that it's not just an empty tomb. It's not empty because somebody came and took his body. It's not empty because thieves came and robbed the, the, the tomb. It's not empty because he really wasn't dead when he was on the cross. The Romans made sure of that. It's empty because God raised him to life. And she makes this incredible discovery that he's alive. He calls her name and she recognizes him. Where she looks at him, maybe she couldn't see because of the tears. Maybe she couldn't see because it wasn't yet very daylight but the rea- the, or, or bright light. But the reality of it is that she hears him call her name and she recognizes that this is Jesus, that he is alive. And I want you to see that everything changes in that moment. At the moment she recognizes that Jesus is alive, everything begins to change. But I want you to see the main thing that changes is not the circumstances that surrounds her. If you go on and read, Jesus tells her, don't cling to me, I haven't yet ascended to the Father. See, Jesus was still going away. She was still going to have to recognize that Jesus was not gonna be there in the way he had been any longer. Um, There was still gonna be a sense of confusion where she's not gonna know exactly how to take her next steps. These, the, the, these things were going to still be true in many ways. It wasn't that every circumstance in her life changed, even though God does through the power of the resurrection many times change our circumstances. The greatest thing that changed was Mary's perspective and her outlook and the way she saw life. Because now she saw it through a different lens. Now she sees it through the resurrection of Jesus. She sees it through the life of Christ. And I wonder how many of us need to have a change of perspective. Many times what we do and what we, what we see is a desire to change, but what we need most is a truth that comes into our lives that changes us, that changes our perspective and then begins to change our life because it's changed our heart. But in this, Mary's perspective begins to change. And think about what this change, this eternal perspective does in our lives. It changes everything. It changes everything. Think about how it just changes your personal walk with Christ. If you just look at those four cultures that we talk about in the church and you look at those four cultures that we feel like are important for every Christian, think about those. It's just like um, the culture of serving and how serving is important in our lives as we follow Christ because that's what Jesus taught us to do. Well, listen, when we come to this place of realizing that there's a bigger picture, it's eternal, it's, it's forever, it's something that doesn't end with this life, we realize that I'm going to spend the rest of my life serving other people so that they too can recognize Christ, so that they too can come to life, so that they too can recognize this big picture, this eternity with God. Think about generosity. When we recognize that this life isn't the end, we no longer try to hold on to everything we have. Why? Because it's not going with us. We begin to store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy. Why? Because we recognize that this isn't it, that this isn't the final 
say that even though our bodies may begin to waste away, that when we're in Christ, we go on in eternity and live with him forever. And that that becomes our treasure. That becomes the place that we want to invest in, that we want to give to, that we want to make sure that other people are coming into. When you think about evangelism, when we come to an eternal mindset, we come to this eternal perspective, we begin to see things from an eternal way, we begin to realize that this is something everybody needs to know, that the empty tomb and the resurrection of Christ and eternity and life that comes to us through that, that everybody needs to hear this good news, that through God, through Christ, we've been given life, that Jesus has come to give life and give it abundantly, not just in the 60, 70, 80, 100 years that we're here on earth, but for eternity that he gives us life. And we need to recognize that community, man, this community of believers is important. We need to see this because what, what really matters in life is the relationships. What really matters in life is that we, the people of God, come together as the church, not the building, but the people come together and that people look at us and they see a, a reflection of God, that they look at the gathering of believers, not just on Sunday, but a group of people who are doing life together and they recognize something divine about that people. And so there's something that points them to Christ. And when our mindset begins to change, that it's not all about what's happening now, but we begin to have a different perspective on life that the resurrection teaches us. And we begin to see the big picture. We begin to see it eternally. Those things begin to change. Think about how it would change your marriage. If we realize that our marriage is not something that exists so that our spouse is there to satisfy us and do everything, they need to do to make us happy. That we realize that that's not their role, but we realize that we're in a partnership that again points people to Christ, that shows them the covenant that God's made with us through the covenant of our marriage. That, that, that is two people who selflessly serve each other, not looking for what they can gain, but looking at more of what they can give. And see, here's the challenge in that. It doesn't come naturally. That's why it has to come supernaturally. It's something that has to happen when our heart begins to change. And even then it becomes a battle because every one of us wants to preserve ourselves and we want to do the things that, that, that are pleasing to us and that feel good to us and that make us happy, even though it's temporary. And just a perfect example of that the other night I'd been at a Bible study with some people and and I got home, it was fairly late. Um, the kids were already getting in bed and, and getting settled. And I walk into the, the, the front door uh, or the side door and I come in through the kitchen and I look over and the dishes from supper are still on the stove and on the counter. And, and, and it's just a mess from where they had eaten. And this is what I thought. Hate for her to have to clean those up tomorrow. Cause I'm like, I ain't doing it. And then it hit me, I was like, why should she have to clean those up? And I was like, I should clean those up. And then I thought, but I don't wanna clean those up. And then I thought, I should really do something about that. And then I thought, I don't wanna do anything about that. And then I thought, I should probably wash those. And then I thought, I don't really wanna wash those. 
And so I finally had to make a decision that I'm going to serve her. I'm going to go and wash the dishes. And I can't tell you how much I hate washing dishes when there's cold food on cold plates. I hate it. I, I, I just about rather do anything else. I hate the, the, and it was like gravy in a pan that was already like gelled over. And so I got the little scraper and I'm like, I just turned the water as hot as I could get it. I was like, it might boil my skin off, but the thing, I'm not touching this if it's cold. And so I'm trying to scrape it off, right? This is just nasty. Not something that I wanted to do, but I realized that that's what God's called me to do. And I'm not perfect at it, but the thing is, I hope I'm growing in it. And our marriages are able to reflect Christ as we serve one another. They're able to reflect the covenant, the love of God between us and him, but it's also able to reflect it through the marriage and through the redemptive power of Jesus. It shows how he can redeem people who are selfish and make them where they want to serve. And that marriage can reflect that. And so he calls us to this. How about in your singleness? How about in your singleness? Think about how this eternal perspective changes us in our singleness. Maybe, maybe, maybe what's not as, it's not as important to live the American dream as we think it is. You know, you get married, you have two and a half kids, I still haven't figured out how you have 2.5 kids. We just went from two to three. We didn't stop at the 0.5. And, and you got the two cars, the garage, this American dream, right? This, that we have everything. But maybe, maybe God's called you to something different. Maybe the big picture and what's really important is not seeking our happiness through somebody else, but it's seeking our satisfaction through Jesus. What if we believe the scripture in Matthew 6, that tells us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then everything else will be added to us. And then trusted him to bring people into our lives rather than going from relationship to relationship to relationship, seeking something that we're not going to find in another human being. What about in our parenting? This is the one that kind of stung me a little bit. What if I parented with an eternal mindset? What if I parented in a way that I realized the most important thing in my child's life is not his ERA, his batting average, how many tackles he makes, what cheer squad they're on. I don't, my sons aren't on cheer squad, but I'm saying if you had someone who was on cheer squad. Not there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying. Or, or, or what about GPA? We, we worry so much about these things, but in 70 years, they're not gonna matter. And I'm not saying they're not important, but what's really important is making sure that our children have this encounter that Mary had, an encounter with the resurrected Christ, an encounter with Jesus that realize that he is alive, that he still invites people to a personal relationship with him, that he still speaks to our hearts, that he still calls our name, and that they see this and that they grab hold of this. What if we lived and parented our children in that way? That the most important thing in their life is 
recognizing this. I love athletics and I think GPAs are important. I want you to hear that. But, but here's the thing that I've realized is with athletics um, and, and things along those lines, any extracurricular activity like that is great because I learned lessons that I never would have learned any other way. I learned through football and baseball and running and doing all those things um, that, that uh, I could always take one more step even when I didn't think I could take another one. But I've also realized this, that it's very easy easy for those things to become our identity. So that what ends up happening is I become Brandon the baseball player. I become Brandon the football player. I become Brandon uh, the, the, the musician. I become labeled and I even label myself with these things. I believe that part of our job as a parent and a big part of our job as a parent is to help our children find a correct identity in who they are. And that identity is in Christ. It's not in their athleticism. It's not in their GPA. It's not in any of that. It's in who Jesus says they are. And I believe that it's awfully important for us to establish that for them because I can tell you this, the world's not going to beat that into their head. And so we have to be the ones who lead them in that, who tell them that you're not defined by what you do. You're defined by whose you are. And we belong to Christ. He's the one that defines us. Think about this. How about our struggles? How about our struggles? How does an eternal perspective help us in our struggles? Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. This is what the Bible says. As Paul's writing to the Corinthians, Paul went through a lot of stuff. He went through a lot of difficult times. He, he went through beatings. Um, he was betrayed. He was um, ostracized. He was, he was stoned um, with rocks um, and, and beaten. I mean, he went through all of this stuff, right? And yet, this is what we read in verse 16. He says, so we do not lose heart. In other words, he's saying, I've been through all this mess, all of these things, and yet I don't lose heart. He says, though the outer self is wasting away. In other words, though uh, th this body of mine may be failing, it may not be doing what it's supposed to do or what I want it to do. The reality is, as he goes on, that our inner self is being renewed day by day. And so what we're seeing is he's saying, even though I realize that my life here on earth has been, probably been hindered and cut short by, by the persecution and by those things and by the ministry of the gospel, he's saying, even though this tent, this body, this flesh may be dying. He's saying, listen, I'm being renewed in my spirit day by day. Jesus is doing a work in me. And he says in verse 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That these things that I'm enduring, the difficulties that I'm facing are nothing compared to what I'm going to experience with God for eternity. Verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In other words, the things that we see and the things we touch and the things we put our hands on are things that are temporary. They're not going to last. But when we fix our eyes on what's eternal, then our, our perspective begins to change. We begin to see that even in my sufferings, even in my consequences that, that are, are uh, circumstances that aren't what I want them to be, even in that, I recognize that as I walk through them, the reality is that they compare nothing to the glory and to the presence of God that I'm going to experience for eternity. 
And we draw strength from that. That's why Paul could say, I don't lose heart because I realize that what I'm going through right now, it's gonna, it's gonna end up in something that's so much greater. And we need to be able to see it this way. See, this wasn't just written for Paul by Paul. This is written for all of us because we've all become aware of our mortality. We all recognize that to some degree, some more than others. The fact that we're not gonna live forever in this body, that this isn't all there is to life. Then we come to Christ, eternal life begins and it never ends. And we realize this, and, and, and I guess for me, I've been thinking more about this. I know I've probably told you about this, but in about a week and a half, I'll be 40 years old. And like 30 didn't bother me. And I know some of y'all are like 80 and that's okay too. But for me, 40 was, is a big deal. Like I hope to make it to 80. But, but 40 has been like one of those things where I'm looking in the mirror, I'm like, oh my gosh, look at the gray hair, right? I'm like, man, and today, listen, man, this is so mean. Today we're standing outside of Moe's after lunch and my 12 year old son walks up and grabs me right here and starts shaking it. <laughs> after he picks himself up off the concrete, I, I really, I was like, what are you doing? He's like, you look like a rooster. I was like, what? It's <laughs> like, leave me alone. And so, and so I'm like, what the heck? But I realized that this isn't gonna last forever, right? It, it doesn't matter what you do, it's, it's, it's not gonna last forever. And that there's something bigger. I've had to recognize that, that man, there's something bigger, that there's something more. And putting my eyes on not what's seen, but what's unseen. And again, this is not something that comes naturally. It's something that we have to be very intentional about is in seeing that this is not it. This is what we're experiencing. This is not it. This is not the end. This is not the point. The point is going to be eternal. The point is going to be when a new heaven and a new earth are established and we spend the rest of eternity with Jesus. So because of the resurrection, Paul and you and I, can look forward to eternity, we can look forward to the future, not with depression and anxiety, but with excitement and joy in our heart because of what God has done. But here's the question I would ask you at this point. How do I have that experience? How do I experience that every day? What is it that gives me that? How do, I, how do I come to this eternal perspective? One of the things I see in this text is it, one of the ways we do that is by recognizing that the resurrection is not some philosophy, it's not some religion, it's not something that was man-made, it's a historical event. And the way we know that is by looking at the lives of the disciples and the apostles because of their life change and what they did and how they did it, what we begin to recognize is that something took place because no one would do what they did for a lie. There was nothing to be gained. There was nothing that they were gonna receive in this life that was, that was twisting their arm to do what they did to give their lives to follow Jesus. And so we know that they saw what they said that they saw because no one dies for what they know is a lie. But even in that, that can be something that strengthens our faith. But at the end of the day, Faith comes from hearing the word and it comes from the power of the Holy Spirit working in our heart. 
is from hearing the gospel and the spirit of God coming into our heart and revealing Jesus to us. And I was thinking about this, that the spirit really, he begins to speak to our deepest longings. One of those longings is to overcome sin. These, these, these things that, that just continually cause us to stumble, to trip, to fall. And the good news is that when we look to the life of Christ, we see that he overcame sin. That in the resurrection, it is God showing us that sin has been defeated once and for all as Jesus took our sin upon him and became a sacrifice for that sin. And so we understand that Jesus has defeated sin. The other one that he speaks to is the longing that we have for eternal life. This longing that tells us that we were created for more. The Bible says that it's God who set eternity in the hearts of men. And so we see that there's another longing within us. And Jesus begins to speak to that longing of life and eternity. And we see that both of those enemies that we can't defeat on our own of evil and sin and of death and the grave were both defeated by Christ on the cross and through the resurrection so that now we understand that by faith we have overcome them too. So when we battle sin, we no longer fight from, for a victory, we fight from a victory that Jesus has won. When we deal with struggles and look at life, we no longer deal with that as if this is the end, but we have an eternal perspective that God is doing something greater. There's a bigger picture for me to live for. And when Jesus begins to speak to those things in our heart, I believe this is what begins to happen is Jesus begins to call our name. He calls our name. And just like with Mary, we hear that and we respond to that. He quickens it to our heart and we recognize that Jesus is calling me. And this isn't a one-time thing. This is every day, every moment that Jesus is calling us. Jesus is talking and speaking. And I wonder how many times he calls our name, but we muffle his voice so that we don't have to align ourselves with his priorities. We can do our own. I wonder how many of us maybe have been running from Jesus in a way that he's been calling and speaking to our heart, speaking to the longings in our heart but we've just never said yes to him. I wonder how many of us tonight, if we were honest, are avoiding his voice. How many of us are going our own way and doing our own thing? I can tell you that path doesn't lead to the abundant life that God wants us to have. And so tonight, my question is, are you responding to Jesus's voice? Are you responding to Jesus calling your name? Are you responding to him drawing you close? Have you said yes to his invitation? Have you said yes to the invitation to have a relationship with him? Do you recognize your need for him, but maybe you've never said yes. You've never received the salvation that he offers. Many times we can mistake coming to this place of a relationship with Jesus for a lot of external things that we do. But that's not what God's talking about. What Jesus wants is your heart. He wants your relationship. He wants to know you. Not for you to go through some religious motions, 
but to be in a relationship with Him. And my question to you right now is, have you done that? Have you experienced that? Have you walked in His grace? Have you tasted the goodness of Jesus? And is God knocking on the door of your heart tonight, calling your name, saying, I want to know you. I want a relationship with you. Because if he is, if he's knocking on the door of your heart, then my encouragement to you is just open the door. Let him in. Say yes to what he's doing. And surrender to him as your Lord. Surrender to him as your Savior. And experience the joy of salvation. Experience the joy of recognizing the resurrected Christ as Mary did. Tonight, is Jesus calling your name? If so, respond. The first opportunity to respond to that is in salvation. You've never said yes to Jesus before, but the Lord is speaking to your heart tonight, and maybe he has spoken, and you know that today is the day of salvation, that you come to this place of saying yes to him, of finally surrendering to him and saying, you are the Lord of my life. For the first time, I'm surrendering myself to you, Lord. I'm giving you all that I am and all that I have. I'm giving it all so that I can have this relationship with you, just to know you. And he's drawing you close. And he's speaking to your heart. And he's called your name. Then what I want to ask you tonight, if that's you, and today is the day of salvation for you saying yes to Jesus, and this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm just going to ask you right now, right where we are, just slip up your hand and say yes to receive him. He's calling your name tonight. Anybody here tonight? awesome man it's good God's good he still saves people he still calls their name anybody else here tonight you know that the Lord's speaking to you you know that God's speaking to your heart that day's the day of salvation here's the next invitation the next opportunity maybe there's a situation or a circumstance in your life that You need the Lord to work in. That God's either got to change the circumstance or he's got to change your perspective. He's got to change you. But what we want to do is we want to pray with you. And we want to help you to take that next step and to be a voice that can speak truth into your life. So what I want to do is if you're here tonight and you just need prayer, you just need someone to pray with you. And what I want to do is I want to close out with a prayer. And as I pray, I'm going to ask you that if tonight you need prayer for something, the circumstances you're in, the situation you're facing, maybe you've been, been, he's been calling your name and you've been going the other way as hard as you can. And tonight you say, I'm coming back. I want prayer for that. See, this Mary, Mary Magdalene, the Bible tells us, had seven demons cast out of her by Jesus. That's messed up, right? But she was being made whole by Jesus. And Jesus does the same thing for us. There had to be a fear in her that when Jesus died, that what if I go back to the way I was? 
What if I go back? What if it happens again? The good news is that Jesus is alive and Jesus brings wholeness and healing to our lives. So we don't have to fear, we can walk with Him, following Him. Tonight, maybe you just need prayer for that. It's just a fear in your life. For some of us, the greatest challenge in our life is the fear of what we'll discover tomorrow. And we wanna pray with you, whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is that you need prayer for, we wanna pray. So this is what we're gonna do. As I pray, I'm gonna ask you if we can pray for you. I'm gonna ask you that you would just get up and walk to these doors over here to my right, to your left, and let us pray with you. Let us pray with you. Our prayer team, we're gonna have people over there to meet you. They'll take good care of you. And they'll pray with you. So I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna ask you to move, to take a step of faith and move. So let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your love in our lives and for your grace. We thank you for the resurrection and the power, God, of who you are. Jesus, we thank you for stepping into our situations and our circumstances. God, I'm beginning to move and beginning to change our surroundings, change those things, or God, to begin to change us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do that now. Just move in a mighty way. God, as you're calling people's names, I pray that they would feel free to respond free to take the step that you call them to take, Lord. Father, just um, just be very real to them right now, very present with them right now. Lord, I pray that you would wrap your arms around them right now. God, as we leave this place, I pray that our eyes would be fixed on you, that we would live out of this eternal perspective, that we would serve others, that we would love others, that we would tell others, that we would Give all we can, God, to seeing you glorified and seeing others come to know you. As we leave here, Lord, just fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit and let us do the things that you've called us to do, Lord. Now we're here. We surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. I hope you have an awesome week. I hope to see you next week.